0: Hello and
1: welcome to the One Year Bible Tour. It's February 24th. My name is David McAdam and it is my joy to be reading the Bible with you today and serving as your tour guide as we navigate through some of the more puzzling portions of Scripture, especially in the book of Leviticus. If you visit our website, that is www.newlife.org, you can sign up for a daily written transcript of each day's broadcast as they are made available. These commentaries are designed to help you bridge the distance from what these inspired writings from the Bible meant to their original audiences, to their contemporary significance and the applications for us today in second timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 17 all is inspired by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness so that the man of god may be adequate equipped for every good work when the apostle paul wrote this he was speaking of all the old testament scripture as being of instructional value as the new testament wasn't written yet but we need the light of the new testament to interpret the Old, and that's what we do in the One Year Bible Tour. One of the benefits of reading through the One Year Bible is that we read a portion from both the New and the Old Testaments and can readily see how they correlate together. It has been said that the New in the Old is concealed, but the Old in the New is revealed. And already we have seen the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Leviticus, as the person and work of Jesus Christ is being prefigured in the sacrifices and offerings described in the opening chapters. The Holy Spirit was communicating through the required sacrifices for making atonement and amends for sin, the laws of cleansing and the rituals of the priesthood, a shadow image of what was to come in the New Covenant, in the perfect atoning, sacrifice and saving life of Christ. Whereas in the earlier chapters, chapters 1 through 10, We have the instruction for the conduct and consecration of the Old Testament priests in the tent of their worship. In chapters 11 through 15, we are dealing with the Old Testament people and the tent of their bodies. Chapter 15, verse 1 is where we are today. Leviticus 15 deals with rituals of cleansing for bodily discharges for men and women. These discharges are not designated as sinful but they result in a state of ritual uncleanness. The rituals were to remind the Jewish man or woman that our physical bodies have been affected by the curse. Our minds, hearts, and even our procreative powers, our sexuality, has been impacted. There are tensions, struggles, bothersome thoughts, feelings, pains, malfunctions, and messes involved with human sexuality. God is aware of this human struggle as a result of the fall, he also knows how it affects our sexuality. He is the author of sex, and therefore He is the authority on human sexuality. So let's start reading from Leviticus chapter 15, verse 1, Laws About Bodily Discharges. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of his uncleanness for a discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge, or his body is blocked up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Every bed on which the one with the discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything on it which he sits shall be unclean. And anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one with the discharge has sat, shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And if the one with the discharge spits on someone who is unclean, then he shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And any saddle on which the one with the discharge rides shall be unclean. And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. Any one whom the one with the discharge touches, without having rinsed his hands in water, shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And an earthenware vessel that the one with a discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when the one with a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing, and wash his clothes. And he shall bathe his body in fresh water, and shall be clean. And on the eighth day He shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, and come before the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and give them to the priest. And the priest shall use them, one for a sin offering, and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord for his discharge. If a man has an emission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water, and be unclean until the evening." and every garment and every skin on which the semen comes shall be washed with water and be unclean until the evening. If a man lies with a woman and has an emission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. When a woman has a discharge, and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual Impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whether it is the bed or anything on which she sits, when he touches it he shall be unclean until the evening. And if any man lies with her, and her menstrual impurity comes upon him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness, as in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean." And on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest, to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling the tabernacle that is in their midst." This is the law for him who has a discharge, and for him who has an emission of semen becoming unclean thereby, also for her who is unwell with her menstrual impurity, that is, for anyone, male or female, who has a discharge, and for the man who lies with a woman who is unclean. Chapter 16 The Day of Atonement The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place, with a bull from the herd for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban these are the holy garments he shall bathe his body in water and then put them on and he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. There's a footnote here that the meaning of Azazel is unclear, but traditionally it refers to uh, the scapegoat. Verse 9. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord, To make atonement over it and it may be sent away into the wilderness to azazel once again a note that azazel here seems to refer to a place verse 11 aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house he shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself And he shall take some of the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side, and in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat then aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there and he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people and the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar and he who lets the goat go to azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering, and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin, and their flesh, and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And who burns them shall wash his clothes, and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp." So we have two distinct chapters chapters 15 and 16 of leviticus chapter 15 on the jewish ritual of cleansing after bodily discharges is often misunderstood particularly as it deals with discharges from male and female genitalia we are to guard the gift of our sexuality it is to be surrendered to god for its sanctified use and blessing God made us intensely sexual creatures, and He wants His good and joyful purposes for our sexuality to be preserved. God created humankind, male and female, and He said it was good. The complementariness of the sexes is good. God created sex for the enjoyment of married couples as well as for reproducing children, being fruitful and multiplying. Our sexuality was created to be subject to God's love and control and to serve his purposes our sexuality is linked to our spirituality god is interested in the whole of our lives public and private he's the lord of the bedroom and the boardroom there are many passages in the bible that celebrate the beauty of sanctified sex in marriage and the virtues of male and female sexuality in hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 we read marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. But in this passage, in Leviticus 15, we are reminded that God cares for and wants to bring cleansing and healing to every area of our lives, including our sex lives. There are natural and unnatural discharges from sexual organs. The word unclean here does not mean sinful. Recognizing ritual uncleanness for the Jew was a recognition that natural and unnatural discharges are affected by the fall and in need of the Savior's healing. Notice that there is a repetition of the phrase, and shall be unclean until the evening. You find it in Leviticus 15, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 11, 16, 17, 18, 19, 21, 22, 23, and 27. The evening to the Jew was the start of a new day. The new day started at sundown. The idea is that we are to recognize our need for cleansing until the new day, the day of the new creation in Christ Jesus. Some of the discharges from men and women were God-designed as normal and healthy. Some were the result of physical disease or dysfunction. But in the Old Covenant dispensation, the Jew was to recognize that our natural life needs to be reckoned with. That which comes out of our body can defile Since the fall, we have been in need of constant cleansing through the blood of the Redeemer and the water of the Word. The ceremonial laws of cleansing provided health benefits that reduced the spread of infections. In this regard, the Jews were well ahead of their time in curtailing the spread of disease. But as we will see from today's New Testament reading in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, Jesus was teaching that the regular discharges of the heart are what defiles us. How often we say things with the wrong tone of voice, we act selfishly, or state something that is unkind, insensitive, arrogant, or proud. These are the discharges that defile. What we read today in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verse 21, is also found in Matthew, chapter 15, verses 17 to 20. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man for out of the heart come evil thoughts murders adulteries fornications thefts false witness slanders these are the things which defile the man but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man all of us have occasional discharges that defile us and could defile others how can we get clean first we recognize the power of the blood our need for Christ's atoning sacrifice that secures our forgiveness and vindicates God's desire to unleash His love toward sinners without compromising His justice. Then we see our need for the cleansing power of His Word. The Scriptures show us what is true, what life is to be in the new day, the new creation. The Word shows us where we need correction and how we can receive cleansing. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can be grateful that today we don't have to be occupied with these ceremonial procedures every time we have a discharge from our hearts, mouths, or bodies. We can see these rituals in the context of the purpose for which they were given to Israel. God is holy, and He calls His people to take seriously the fact that they were to be holy. How wonderful it is to hear the good news that God's demands for holiness, the heart cry for purity, and the laws of cleansing— are all fulfilled in Christ. Leviticus chapter 16 describes the greatest day in the Hebrew calendar, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. This is a very public event that takes place once every year as part of the autumn feasts. There were a series of offerings to atone for sins, a ram as a burnt offering, a bull as a sin offering, for Aaron the high priest himself and his family, and two goats one for a sin offering for the people, and one which would be the designated scapegoat. In verse 15, the blood of the sacrificed animals would be taken into the tent of meeting and beyond the veil to the inner sanctuary to be sprinkled seven times on the mercy seat over the ark of the covenant and beneath a cloud of incense. As we read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, we understand how this powerfully pictures the finished work of redemption accomplished by Christ through his atoning sacrifice on the cross in Hebrews chapter 9 verses 6 through 14. The blood would also be taken to the outer court and applied to the horns of the altar, once again sprinkled seven times with his finger to provide atonement for the holy place itself. And you will remember from our reading yesterday that the number 7 in the Hebrew refers to that which is sufficient. Enough satisfies a number for perfection, prefiguring the blood of the perfect sacrifice of Christ Jesus, the once and for all sacrifice. Next we read about the scapegoat. One of the goats was chosen by lot to be a sin offering unto the Lord. The other goat was designated as a scapegoat. Once the atoning sacrifices were offered and the blood sprinkled upon the mercy seat and altar, Aaron laid his hands on the live goat and confessed over it all the iniquities and transgressions of the people. The sins are symbolically transferred to the scapegoat and then sent away with the scapegoat into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness, another picture of Christ. The goat bearing all the iniquities of the people is taken to a no-man's land, the wilderness of God's forgetfulness, Azazel. A solitary land where it is released. Aaron then washes once again and offers the rams as burnt offerings for himself and for the people. Now we come to the New Testament the Gospel of Mark chapter 7 verses 1 to 23 and you can see how this ties in with what we've been reading in Leviticus. Verse 1, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And He said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand Today's reading from the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament is particularly relevant to what we have been reading of the cleanliness laws from the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. The pharisees are outraged that the disciples of jesus were not strictly conforming to their traditions based on the laws of cleanliness mark offers an explanation to this predominantly roman audience knowing that they were largely unfamiliar with the jewish laws and traditions so mark gives a parenthetical explanation of what those old testament laws were all about the pharisees wanted to discredit the ministry of jesus by implying that the behavior of his disciples was not in conformity to the law. In verse 5, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? You will remember that if a person had an infectious disease, such as a boil, rash, or sores, or if a person came in contact with a dead animal or a human being, or mildew on their clothes, articles in their home, or their house itself, If they had any kind of bodily discharge or ate meat from an animal considered unclean, they would be considered ritually impure. This meant that they were not permitted to worship God with the community unless they were pronounced clean. Tim Keller helps to put these ceremonial laws in perspective in his book, King's Cross. He writes, "...such strenuous boundaries seem harsh to us, but if you think about it, they are not as odd as they sound. Over the centuries, people have fasted from food during seasons of prayer." Why? It's an aid for developing spiritual hunger for God. Also, people of various faiths kneel for prayer. Isn't that rather uncomfortable? It's an aid for developing spiritual humility. So the washing and efforts to stay clean and free from dirt and disease that were used by religious people in Jesus' day were a kind of visual aid that enabled them to recognize that they were spiritually and morally unclean and couldn't enter the presence of God unless there was some kind of spiritual purification. If you are going to meet with somebody who is particularly important to you for that big date or important job interview, you wash, you brush your teeth, you comb your hair, what are you doing? getting rid of uncleanness, of course. You don't want a speck or a stain on you. You don't want to smell bad. The uncleanness laws were the same idea. Spiritually, morally, unless you're clean, you can't be in the presence of a perfect and holy God. Jesus certainly agreed with the fact that we are all in need of cleansing before God, but he disagreed with them about the source of uncleanness. In verse 14 of chapter 7, he says, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then Jesus explains what truly needs cleansing. A diet of kosher foods cannot make him clean, nor can unclean food defile him. It is the heart that is the source of defilement. It is the heart that needs purification. When the disciples ask for further explanation, Jesus says, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not go into his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated? Mark gives another rare editorial explanation to his predominantly Roman readership, explaining that at the time Jesus was declaring all foods as being clean. The Mosaic regulations regarding the need for cleansing were visual object lessons to highlight what is needed to approach a holy God. The psalmist put it this way, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully. In Psalm 24, verses 3-4. The laws of cleansing, like food, enter the body and leave the body without the power to cleanse the heart of its defilement. Jesus' parable shows that it bypasses the heart altogether. External conformity to purification regulations and rituals do not deal with the soul. Religion, politics, ethics, self-help makeovers, behaviorism, social programs, all prescribe the outside-in approach to life change. They do not work Because what causes our problem works from the inside out, the sin nature. Jesus came to give us an inside out solution for life change, his life. Mark writes, thus he declared, all foods clean. There is another helpful insight in Tim Keller's book, King's Cross. Quote, it doesn't read, Jesus said, all foods were clean. If it did, then maybe the meaning would be, Jesus says you don't need to worry so much about these foods. Everything is all right. Go ahead, eat them. Jesus would be saying that the cleanliness laws were an outdated idea and let's go beyond them. He would be giving an authoritative opinion of the subject. But that is not what happened. It reads, Jesus declared, Jesus pronounced. Greek experts and scholars agree. Jesus is saying, as of now, I make these foods clean. I called the world into being I called the storm to a halt, I called a girl back from death, and now I call all foods clean. In order to understand the magnitude of this, you must remember that Jesus has an incredible high regard for the Word of God. He considers it binding, even on Himself. What He is saying here is that the cleanliness laws have been fulfilled, that their purpose to get you to move towards spiritual purification has been carried out. The reason you don't have to follow them as you once did is that they have been fulfilled. Jesus has come to be our purity before God. He gives his pure life for us on the cross to remove our impurity in the sight of God. And then he gives his life to us in resurrection power through the Holy Spirit to progressively purify our hearts. The Holy Spirit gives us new birth with a new life and a new heart with a new nature. And now our reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 40, verses 11-17. through 17. And reading today will be our daughter-in-law, Heather McAdam.
0: As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God.
1: The Lord is mindful of us in all our afflictions. Our prayer is that in all things He will be magnified. The psalmist recognizes the binding impact of sin and makes this confession. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head and my heart has failed me. The word confession means to say the same thing. In this case, it is to agree with God. The honest-to-God confession of a repentant heart acknowledges that we have all sinned. We have violated His command, we have strayed from His path, we have betrayed His right to rule our hearts in righteousness. We acknowledge what God says about our sin. It is an offense to God's holiness, and it separates us and grieves the Holy Spirit. But our confession must include that God has mercifully provided a place where sins can be put away, at the cross of Christ. The psalmist cries out for mercy, for forgiveness, and deliverance from his enemies within and without. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. He rejoices in his salvation and encourages us to do the same. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Reading Psalm 40, verse 17 reminds me of a story. An English bishop was asked to preach at a conference. He was staying in a guest house and took pleasure in a poster he saw on the wall. He read the words aloud, I am power and ready. He told his friend, this is just the message I need. His friend told the bishop to put on his glasses and read the words on the poster once again. The bishop did so and read the words aloud, I am poor and needy. The bishop replied, yes, this is the message I need to hear. Psalm 40, verse 17 does not read, I am power and ready. It reads, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Next we read from the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, verses 13 to 14. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. We can see from this proverb that the foolish need constant correction, and the wise know when to hold their tongue. Let's pray. O Lord, we are poor and needy. You remember we are dust. We are fallen creatures in need of your merciful provisions. Thank you for the gift of your Son, who shed his blood that we might be cleansed and clothed in his righteousness. We surrender all that we are in spirit, soul, and body Thank you for the gift of our physical bodies. Thank you for our sexuality. Help us to glorify you in our bodies as men and as women. We are grateful for the perfect work of Christ, who became our scapegoat, atoned for our sins and separated us from our sins as far as the East is from the West. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, who empowers us for righteous living. We love your salvation that has cleansed us from all impurities and made Christ our purification. Our prayer is that all who seek you will rejoice and be glad in you. May you be magnified this day in all our words and deeds. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for being with us today and being part of our Bible reading community. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to contact us, you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and also to go to our website, newlife.org, where you can sign up for a written copy of today's meditations. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Shalom.